This is the Sea to Sky podcast with Marcus, weaving through the issues in Sea to Sky country. Welcome to another edition of the Sea to Sky podcast. My name is Marcus. I'm sitting with Kaya Belfry Monroe and Doug Monroe, who are political pundits, who are the uh, superpower of politician education at Quest University. Um, Doug is just already has his hand over his face, like, oh, why are you in my house today again? And Kai's just smiling away because it's funny. And um, we're here talking about the referendum uh, because the referendum, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. It, we were just discussing before you started rolling about how there's memes on the Internet now about uh, the, the different systems that are in play to vote for. We voted today. Right. Yeah. So we're, people have got their ballots in the mail. I know by the we're supposed to, most of Guam are supposed to get theirs by the 30th. And so, and now the choice is, what's the choice, right? First, we have our current system, which is first past the post. If you like it, then vote for it. If not, then you have three other options. Now we're going to discuss the three other options uh, in, in relation to what are these options. And we're sort of going to try and explain it without hopefully any opinions about it. This is just straight up facts. So first past the post is a system we've had, I think, ever. <laughs> I believe in Canada, and uh, we're, we're we're trying to change it up to something different. But first, let's explain how first past the post really works. Well, first past the post is a really simple system, right? You have people running in a particular area, the whole political region, whatever that is. In this case, the province are broken into different districts. We call those ridings or constituencies. In that riding or constituency, you have a single person running, or a single person who will be elected. So you might have four or five people running for one seat. You go down and we mark an X on the name next to the person you want to, uh, to win. That's all you do. You say, I want this person. And if they got more check marks than everybody else in this district, will be elected. There's really nothing else to it. It's called first past the post because if you have more than two people running in that particular area, you're unlikely to get a majority you're probably going to end up, you could end up with, you know, 40% and then 30-30, right? And so it doesn't matter how much above the other person you got. It just matters that you did get more votes. And so just like in a horse race where it doesn't matter how far the nose of the one horse is in front of the other, it's the same thing. It doesn't matter, you know, unless it comes down to a tie, which I... Oh, don't know that very that's unlikely. happened. Yeah, um, I don't know of any cases. In these systems, very unlikely. It's not a problem. And so the real term for this is single member plurality because you've got one person in the district who's going to be elected and they only need a plurality or more votes than anybody else. Okay, and so we want to change this because? The thing that I think a lot of people forget here is that we're not only talking about how you go from votes to seats. That's what the referendum is about. So single-member plurality is how we go from voting in a riding to a person getting elected. But one of the things that that then shapes is how we translate seats into governments. We're not going to change that in this referendum, but it matters quite a bit. So as Kaya mentioned, you can win the seat in a first-past-the-post system if you get only 40% of the votes. If that happens in a lot of the ridings, or most of the ridings, then you'll get a government which will win many of the seats even a majority of the seats, but still only get about 40% of the vote. And this, you know, in my childhood in Prince Edward Island, we used to see governments regularly that were like almost entirely one party, and then you had like the one person in opposition, and this happened in New, New Brunswick as well. Mm -hmm. Because in a situation where 
whatever the uh, jurisdiction is, so the province, is very homogenous, then it's very likely that 40% of the people across the province will vote the same way, and that will get elected across every riding in the province, even though they only got 40%. Mm -hmm. So you can end up with 40% of the people getting 98% of the, of the seats. It doesn't happen in BC in part because we have this dichotomy between the interior and the coast, so you've almost got two different yeah. provinces. There's two different personalities going on here, for sure. Exactly. Yeah. So it's not likely to happen, but what does happen is we end up in situations where we have way more of the seats than the percentage ought to provide, and that's what people would consider to be the big problem mm -hmm. with first-past-the-post or single-member plurality. When we explain this to international students at Quest, uh, we'll explain the votes to seats bit, and they're totally with us. And then we'll turn to the national polling numbers, the provincial polling numbers, and say, well, you'll see that Party X is polling at about 35 to 38 percent of the vote. So they're in solid majority government territory. <laughs> and the student will look at us funny, as if math in Canada is weird. Right. Traditionally, if you want to form a majority government, that is to say your party has the majority of the seats in the legislature, which gives you an incredible position of power, you only need in the 38, 39, 40, 41 percent of the vote across the entire province or across the entire country. That's an effect of first past the post. Well, also, this, this system seems to be quite, well, you know, it's very simple, right? You just count how many votes, and then that guy has the more votes, so therefore he gets the seat. Simple as that. And also, our current system, we have a very oppositional system. You have your majority party, and then you have the guys across the aisle, and you scream at each other, and hopefully things get done. And so, the other options at this point, if we're, if you say no, you don't like the way the system is now, and you're moving on to the three other options. So the system right. will continue to be sort of set up the way it's set up in the Westminster system with the government and the opposition. But the problem is going to be that nobody's going to get into majority, or at least it's very unlikely that people will see majorities. And so you're going to have circumstances more like what we have right now in British Columbia, where you have one party in a, an, with an agreement with another party to be able to survive longer, or you might have multiple parties in agreement. The systems that are on the ballot now for proportional representation are not the type of systems that are likely to lead to like, you know, 25 different parties. Um, we, it, they're systems that have shown to be more likely for governments to form with fewer parties, and so um, they do provide more stability than other options in the proportional representation world, mm -hmm. but definitely less stability than what you have in um, in the first-past-the-post system. But then the stability we're talking about in first-past-the-post in British Columbia was 16 years with one government with you know, right. varying degrees of 40-something So percent. stability, are we talking about when it comes down to passing a budget, when it comes down to vote of confidence for the government? That's what we're talking about? It is, and, and we're talking about the, the lifespan of a government. So it's not unusual for us to see a government that lives longer than any one leader of the party remains in power. We're used to a government lasting longer than the period of the legislature itself. Our governments live longer than we go than elections, in a sense. Mm -hmm. Whereas in other jurisdictions, it's the opposite. There aren't any more elections, but they change governments more frequently. Well, we have two. We have two major parties, right, and and a fringe player, right. So I mean, when that proportionality, if we're talking about proportionality, like. Does that sort of help those, those other fringe players get a bigger voice, essentially? Because, I mean, first past the post with two parties seemed like the, a best, the better system. But since you have other parties involved, you, they, this is about getting them an extra voice? Well, definitely what one of the things that first past the post does is 
makes it very challenging for p uh, parties that don't have a regional base. So if you've got a base in one area, you're able to then get 40% in that area, you'll get elected. But if you're getting 20% or 10% across the whole area, you're not going to see anybody elected anywhere. Or um, and, and so you can be a party that gets 19%, but you get it sort of across the whole province and every in each place there's somebody getting 40 percent mm -hmm. and therefore you never get elected uh, so that that issue of small parties that don't have a regional base can't get into parliament is one of the main problems with first past the post and is why the green party for instance would like it seen like yeah. to see it changed yeah because i mean they, they have they think they have a solid base but then it's not enough to get seats it's it's also it's too spread out I think something that's very important to keep in mind, there are two things really that we should keep in mind. I mean, the first is that shopping for voting systems is like shopping for cars. There's huge choice out there, and the choice only starts making sense if you really start thinking about what it is you need. Do you need seating capacity, fuel efficiency? Do you want electric? Do you not? This is Squamish. Do you want it lifted and 4x4, four four, etc.? So we have to think about what, you're, what you want in a voting system and then compare the choices. And the other thing to recognize is that there's a huge range of possible options out there and that Air the system nice. defines <laughs> the rules. Mm -hmm. The rules shape the strategy, and then that shapes the players and the outcome. So a first-past-the-post system typically produces two-plus-one party systems like we see in BC, where there's two big parties and then one sort of third choice. We see that federally. It's just who's your third choice kind of varies depending upon where you are in the country. Mm -hmm. oh. Yeah, give the NDP a little bit of okay, fine. credit. They've been around a long time. So they have. They've, they've held on. <laughs> but this like is a, a normal consequence of first-past-the-post systems wherever they're implemented. Proportional <laughs> systems, which is a huge family of systems, of which we're considering only three, and the three that are closest, I think, to what we have now, tend to produce more parties, and they're parties that will behave differently, to come back to your point about oppositional behavior. They're still competitors, there's still a government and an opposition. The government may be a coalition or may be supported by others. But because of that probable need, they're very likely to need somebody else's support. The parties have to play a little more nicely. Mm -hmm. And that changes the character of politics a bit. You can't be calling people names and then expecting to walk in and shake their hand a little bit later, right? Well, that's <laughs> politics. So, uh, Well, <laughs> you say that. But the thing is, it's a bit like watching basketball played by the rules of basketball and saying, well, that's basketball. Well, if you change the rules... The game would change a bit. Well, it depends what rules you're changing. Um, I mean, if you look at sports, major sports, all major sports have gone through rule changes to at least increase offense or increase some sort of safety for other players. So, I mean, it either makes the game better or it doesn't. So let's get into the three options, all right? Because you talked about different automobiles. Uh, uh, let's, not, mm -hmm. let's not give them names, all right? <laughs> let's not say this one is this version or that model is that model. Let's not do that. Um, I, I'm kind of resistant to change, so if my attitude is a kind of like, that system sounds like it's ridiculous, that's not because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm inherently understanding all the systems in place, that's why I'm talking to you, but it's because I have a resistance to change in You're general. curmudgeonly, we understand that, that's right. okay, that's why we like you, Marcus. <laughs> so, what, which we have three options, of course, so if you say you want a proportional system, and then after that there are three options, so which one would you like to start with? Might as well do it in the order that they're listed. I yeah, think. I suppose that makes the most sense. It's important to remember, too, Willow, when you're looking at your ballot, you're rank ordering these. So it'll ask you in a rather complicated grid shape, which is a little weird to fill it if you'd never filled it out before, 
in what order of preference? You know, what's your first choice? What's your second choice? What's your third choice? And you don't have to pick all three. You could just say, I like this one and this one and forget the third one. So uh, the points of similarity and points of difference should be considered in that light. You're kind of picking your first and second choices, not that one and not the other two. With that in mind, the first system on the ballot is the dual member proportional system, which is, uh, I, I think, the one thing I have to say is that it was somebody's graduate thesis at the University of Alberta, I believe, and uh, so that person is very excited that somebody read his graduate thesis and uh, <laughs> decided to go with it. He was actually reached for comment by the media when this first came out, and that was his response. Oh, somebody read that thing. They're not naming it after him, so hooray. <laughs> so uh, the dual member proportional is exactly as it sounds. We have single member plurality, where you have one person in a riding and a plurality wins. Well, in dual member proportional, you have two people in a riding, dual member. What you end up doing in the ballot there is voting for a pair. You're voting for a party ticket, kind of like pres and vice pres in the States. You're voting for the primary candidate and secondary candidate of the party of your choice. So you're really picking parties, and the parties have picked the candidates. And that's not that dissimilar to our system now. Of course, the parties pick the candidates, and if you want a choice, you have to join the party and all that jazz. The first seat in every riding, and every riding in BC gets about twice as big in this system, because we're going to keep the number of MLAs constant. Mm -hmm. The first seat in every riding goes to whoever got the most votes. So it's handed out in a pretty traditional manner. So that's half the legislature full right there. The second seat is allocated based on the overall province-wide allocation of the vote. So the second seat's where the proportional bit comes in. That second seat gets allocated so that the overall legislature winds up being proportional to percentage of the vote each party got. Who fills in that second seat? So the second candidate on some of those party tickets, that creates the pool of people. Okay. One of the very important details that isn't specified yet in this system, and if you read the Attorney General's report, there's actually a very handy summary for each system which walks you through it in a page and then has a big list of questions we'll have to figure out if we decide to go with this. Yeah, and that, that's what tripped me up a little bit about this whole thing. So it's like, but those are very intricate details. So, yeah. I mean, if that, if, so if I want on a party and I'm, want, and I'm a party member and I'm on this, this, duality, this dual system, I'd rather be that second guy if I'm on the Green Party because then I might, get on the, I might get a seat, actually, than being the first guy on the Green Party which doesn't really make sense for me being on the Green Party as a second-seater. You know what I mean? It's, well, it doesn't reward the first-seater at all. The reason why he's there is because he's the most senior member of the party. No, you're assuming that. that. You're just assuming first and second have some sort of order of priority. There's no reason to assume that necessarily, except for the fact that we intuitively label first and second in that way. I will say that although people like to say the devil is in the details on voting system, and the details do matter, uh, you can also make a choice without having all the details figured out. And it's not free to figure out the details. So there's a kind of cost-benefit calculus here. Yeah, but then you have people like me making assumptions, and then you're going to make a vote on a system based on assumptions. The well, challenge, I think, here is that this isn't something where we can look elsewhere and say, well, this is how it's done over here, right? Mm. They yeah. figured it out over here, they did this. They figured it out over here, they did this little different thing, but it'll be in this range, right? Mm -hmm. We don't have a range for this because it's not been done. And the big challenge is, Okay, well, how will they come up with a just way to allocate that second seat? So in Squamish, when we, we say that, you know, Jordan Sturdy gets elected, are we going to have a second person who's liberal? Are we going to have a second person who's green? Um, are we going to have a second person who's NDP? I mean, I think in the last election, 
the Greens came in second, so it's unlikely to be NDP, but then whether or not we would have attributed a second Liberal member or an, a Green member is kind of unclear to me, and it's unclear to me how you could do that in a way that was legitimized by the population, right? Mm -hmm. that, that was transparent enough that everybody said, okay, I get what you did there. Right. That's not to say there isn't a way to do it. I just, I'm just having trouble imagining, and that's concerning to me. And that's my problem, right? Because you're saying the devil's in the details in terms of when you want to pick a system that works. And if I, that's Well, actually, that's not what I was saying. I was saying that the de details matter, but well, you can actually make choices but before I want, that. I want those details, right? I want to know who gets that second seat, because it's supposed to be proportional at the end of the day. And, it, and if you have the system where they're kind of all over the place, you can't tell me who's going to fill in that second seat, and then but yet you're going to tell me the government's going to remain the same size, I get a little bit flustered with that. Well, I can tell you're asking two different questions there. The outcome can be proportional, and that's actually fairly easy to work out. The tricky part is where. It's easy for me to figure out how many green second seats need to get put into the legislature in Victoria. How many is the easy part. Mm -hmm. Where are they going to be from? That's the hard part. And that's an issue of representation, right? Mm -hmm. So there's proportionality is only one of the many values you might have for a voting system. Proportionality, accountability, knowing um, that this person is the person I blame if things go wrong and this person is the person I'm happy with if things go right. That's mm -hmm. accountability. Um, and uh, the, the issue of representation is a very important one. We have a system now that's very clear. If I want to get something done and it's not working out for me, I go see Jordan Sturdy. Yep. Right? That's who I go to. And if it's a federal issue, I go see Pam Goldsmith-Jones. Yep. Um, it's very clear. And at the same time, at the upper level, it is also clear who's in power and who I can blame, right? Who mm -hmm. I can be upset with or who I can be happy with. But ultimately, my representative locally is, is clear to me. In this case, what the problem is is that that first person, it's clear how that representation will be a attributed, but it's not clear how that representation for the second seat will be attributed. And yes, I think you're right that that's an important question. Because if some writings say some writings are overwhelmingly one party, and all of a sudden they have a second member there from a different party, that party should have two seats. Fair enough. However, if a writing is overwhelmingly in favor of, say, party A, then it's more probable that party A is going to wind up needing a second seat anyway because their total vote share just went up. So although it's tempting to say this is really going to founder, and although half of the seats in the legislature are those second seats to be allocated, in most cases I think it would actually be fairly straightforward. The issue is going to be in the edge cases. The problem with elections, particularly in BC right now, is that the edge cases are going to matter a lot because we have two parties that pretty much are neck and neck in terms of popular support. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, one of the things that's come through loud and clear in the consultation process on this is that although people want more proportionality, BCers also want to understand how the system works. And so yeah. as Kaya said, how you do it is one thing, but doing it in a way that everybody kind of gets so where's is the, the transparency other one. in this system? Like, we don't know yet, right? That's the, that yeah. is the answer, right? It's possible that they could figure out a way and a method of doing it that's transparent. But one of the challenges is you also sort of need simplicity for it to be really transparent, right? Because everybody needs to be able to understand. And so that's what, I mean, that is one of the things that the single member plurality system, first past the post, has is that it's um, simple to understand and therefore everybody feels like it's transparent. Whether that happens, will it be some sort of complex algorithm? I don't know. In this system, you vote for a party pair. So in... In First Past the Post, one of the little parlor games that we play in political science is to ask ourselves, what's the voter actually deciding on? Are they deciding on the person they want to represent them? Or are they deciding on the party that they agree with? Or are they picking a party leader they especially are fond of, and the party kind of comes from that, and the candidate could be anybody? 
Well, in first past the post, that's a little ambiguous. In dual member proportional, you're picking a party pair. So you're much more endorsing a party or the leader of a party and a pair of candidates. And the candidates you know, live and die together in terms of the campaigning, even though the first one, the primary candidate, as it's referred to, is the person who's going to get elected or not based on plurality of voting and getting the most votes. The secondary candidate, it's a slightly different game for them. But your ballot choice would be party A, party B, party C, with a pair of names next to each one. The second seat will not be attributed based on your vote in this riding. It will be attributed based on all the votes across the province or across the region. I'm not sure which. Um, and so it depends on how many more seats a particular party needs to be proportional. But the reason you're looking confused is because it's confusing. Like, it is a confusing system, and, it, and it, it's partially confusing because we don't have somewhere where we can, again, where we can look to and say this is how it worked there. But it's partially confusing because it's not really intuitive how all of this would work. And that's one of the challenges, I think, with voting systems because you have to figure out what the outcomes are going to be. And that has to do with a lot of complex um, parts. And some voting systems don't have those complex parts, but the outcomes nonetheless can be, you know, maybe not what you want, like single member plurality. But equally, other voting systems have a lot of complexity. And so understanding what the outcomes are going to be and, and what the, what, wh how you're going to feel in that, in that voting system is very hard to to figure out without an example, and we just don't have one. But the next system that's up on the ballot, I believe it's been done before. Yes, yes it has. So the, the second option on your ballot choice is called Mixed Member Proportional, or MMP. It's a system that has been used elsewhere. Notable examples are Germany and New Zealand. There are a few others as well. The Mixed Member Proportional system has a couple of different ways it can be implemented. And so what, what your vote would look like could be slightly different. The current thinking with Elections BC is to lean towards a vote where you pick your candidate in your riding. So who's going to be my guy or my girl? Mm -hmm. Is it going to be Jordan? Is it going to be Michelle? Is it going to be whomever? And then on a second portion, you pick which of the parties do I like? You still have a riding, and in your riding, the person with the most votes is elected. And those ridings account for about 60% of the total seats in the legislature. The remaining seats in the legislature are then handed out to the parties based on the total allocation of those party votes. Mm -hmm. The idea is that you wind up with a legislature where every area has their person that they can go to, but the overall composition of the legislature matches the vote share of each party. In BC, we would do this regionally. So we would be handing out other seats, the party seats, on a regional basis. And that would mean that we would have... We have to draw up new regions. Yes, we'd have to increase the size of all the ridings and I have to lump them together into some regions. But it also means you wouldn't just have my regional, or sorry, my riding MLA, which are my Jordan Sturdy equivalent, and then there's 40% of the legislature representing Victoria. They're just the party people. Everyone of those people also has a region. So we would have our riding MLA, Jordan, for example, and then we'd have a regional MLA or two, much in the same way as we have Squamish, and then we have the Squamish Lillooet Regional District, and they sort of nest one within the other. So if, I, if I'm voting for the party in my region, will I know who that regional MLA is? Or is that still detailed stuff that I haven't released nope, yet? No, you would know. Okay. There are a couple of ways in which you can do that. You can have it so that it's a closed list, which means the party can just establish the list. The BC Liberals would say, here's our list of people. Typically, you put the leader at the top of the list. Mm -hmm. And in some systems, that leader can also be a candidate in a riding. 
That way you're pretty sure that no matter how badly it goes for them in the writing, they're in there, right? You can also have a system whereby that list is open in the sense that the voters can actually be picking people, and so the party has a bit less control and voters have a bit more control. But I I believe in BC they decided not to do that. BC said they were going to create the list. Am I understanding that, or am I? Is that, nope. that's false. No, that's inaccurate. Okay, that's an open question, right. and that's a thing that's relatively easy to decide. And in fact, what's interesting is that the the voting system can specify that, but if the voting system says it's a closed list system, any one party could say, "Yeah, okay, well, we're going to do our system in an open way." Mm-hmm. They have to just do it independently of the voting system, right? So party members could then shape the list. And so, in way. this system, I can vote for my regional MLA and then pick a different party. You totally could. Okay, you could say, you know what? I like Jordan Sturdy. He's a stand-up guy. He used to be pro-patrol. I like skiing. I'm going to vote for Jordan. Mm-hmm. You know, I like the color green. I'm going to vote for the green party. And that's not inconsistent whatsoever. <laughs> okay. Totally makes sense. Now, it can also be done in a way where you only have one choice on the ballot. And so voting for Jordan also represents a vote for the BC Liberals. It's a simpler ballot, but it takes away that level of choice to voters. And that is absolutely something they're going to figure out after the fact. So we don't 100% know that it'll be two votes or if it'll be just one. Um, and th- that, that does that, make a difference. That is a big detail. Yeah. Well, Elections BC is, is clearly leaning towards the two vote based on the material they're putting out to explain the system. It's important to recognize though, that these details aren't going to be hashed out uh, in a back room in Victoria somewhere. There's going to have to be a law passed to implement this, which means it'll go through the legislative committee process and there'll be open hearings to decide this sort of thing. So it's, it's not entirely... The party hacks will in, in New Zealand and in Germany. Do they use the two vote system? Yeah, they do. Right. And I think that fact of having particularly New Zealand is what uh, makes this one easier to explain and easier to kind of wrap your head around because New Zealand, as a former British colony, was also using the first past the post Westminster system and they relatively recently, 20 years ago, it was 93, I think, 93, 96, 25 years ago. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's pretty recently, right? 93, we're in the 90s, aren't we? The world of politics, they yeah, did. that could be quite recent. Yeah, yeah they um, decided to. Um, to, to move from first past the post through a referendum to the mixed member proportional. Um, the first election after they did that was a bit challenging scenario for the parties. It took them 90 days to come up with an, a government and they found it very hard. And, uh, you know, at first I think most New Zealanders were sort of like, oh gosh, what do we do? Mm-hmm. Um, and wondering if, if they should not change back. But two elections later, I believe, um, after the second time they had... Uh, actually had a referendum and decided to keep it. And okay. because it was because after they'd done it so badly once, the parties learned they couldn't just keep doing the same thing in this new system. So the parties had to adapt, not necessarily the voters. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the parties, I think, what they came to is realizing, oh, we better get this our ducks in a row before the election. So they mm-hmm. actually had talked to each other and they had scenarios and they had something figured out so that when it ended up being a certain way, they could then put in place the plans they already had, where the first election they just went into it like they would for a first past the post, and then they came out and went, oh, goodness, we have to figure something else. Nobody's in power, right? So that, that referendum to keep the system, what was the, what was the, what was the ratio? Do you know what the vote was for to keep it? If it was like 70-30, 60-40? No, 51, I don't know. 51-49? Uh, I can <laughs> Because, I mean, um, uh, not, not to say that we're not similar to, to New Zealanders or the Kiwis, but it's just if it was a very close margin to accept the referendum, I mean, that, that, isn't that like maybe some, there is some contention there still that the system might have its faults that are not necessarily representative of what the base is? I think the thing you're, you're assuming, though, is that there's a perfect system out there, which there clearly isn't. There well, is no for perfect, perfect system. Yeah. There is simply well, systems system that, that do better at some things yeah. 
versus others. Well, I mean, we're, we're looking at a system that, that best refle- reflects the population. Correct? Well, maybe. But if you want a system that's perfectly proportional, you're going to have to accept some other trade-offs as well. All voting systems are a collection of trade-offs among different values. We've talked about simplicity. We've talked about accountability. We've talked about proportionality. Mm-hmm. So what you really need to do is pick which things are important to you and then decide if the trade-offs are acceptable. So is this simple? Is it simpler than the other one? Yeah. Now, that's partly because we can look at New Zealand and see how it's gone. Yeah, it works, right. Yeah, so in New Zealand, they voted overwhelmingly to make this move. It was 80%. Nice, um, okay. It was 80, what was exactly here, uh, 84%, um, and 70% going to MMP. I doubt we'll get that high in this province, mm-hmm. um, but I, I think to keep in mind that the alternative is to stay with what we have, and over 60% of people have already voted, right, in the last referendum to, um, to move away from that. So, you know, you start wondering, well, do we all have to agree and how high is legitimate? Because really that's all that matters is where do we get, where do we hit the point where we all, even those who disagree, feel like it was not in a way that people feel comfortable with and they feel there's legitimacy in the change. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, hard to know where that place will be, but certainly I think continuing with a system that that has been, uh, had a majority of people against it, that's not necessarily the best way forward either. I think something to point out about New Zealand is that they do wonderful things using iconography of cheese, infographics built on a cheese theme to explain the electoral system. They're really good at that. So if you're curious about MMP sure and elections BC, not. no, I'm dead serious. <laughs> I am 100% serious. They also have a lovely little orange mascot. If you're confused about MMP, Elections New Zealand does a pretty good job of explaining the system. They've had a lot of practice. I might have to find a link and put it up there just for fun. Now, one thing to, and that that kind of gets to, of course, is that these systems, of course, change rules, and then people get used to them. And one of the reasons that we've seen in the consultation process that has led to this referendum is people in BC, the 100,000 or so folks who were asked about this, have said that they'd like to see parties behave in a more cooperative way. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing that MMP does, and we know this from experience in several jurisdictions, is it creates parties that are more cooperative. They face huge incentives to be cooperative because they know they're going to have to work together. It doesn't necessarily create crazy instability um, in the sense that some PR systems do. Israel, for example, is legendary for governments that fall very, very often. Uh, The average lifespan of a government in New Zealand is in the sort of three to six years range. Well, then you have Angela Merkel in Germany that's been there forever. Yeah. But lately, I mean, her demographics are shifting. She has to do a lot of more coalition work than she had ever had before. But, but she's MMP, right? right? Yeah, where right. So New, um, Israel, of course, has a one-word system like our municipal governments mm-hmm. where the whole country is one word, and that leads to very small parties having a lot of power. And so you end up with uh, governments being reliant on lots of parties, and that is very unstable. So that's why... That's not on offer. There's a lot of backward negotiating then. <laughs> yeah, tons. And, and obviously, uh, the people who are putting this choice forward have, have studied the issue. They have some notion of what's going on. They've asked people in BC. They know that's really not anybody's preferred choice. It's not even a choice in the ballot. So what I think MMP, in comparison to the other alternative, the dual member pl- proportional, has is that it's clear enough how it might work that we can make those decisions in advance. It also is clear how you would each part would work, right? So there'd be a list on this part and you're just doing your normal thing on the other part. And it allows us to have some sense of um, the proportionality that we would end up with. Where in the one we had spoken to about previous, it's just not 100% clear to me 
how each of those parts would work. Yeah, at some point we need a computer to spit out the other one, whereas in this one it's sort of kind of straightforward. You may not need a computer, right. um, but you, you might choose to keep it simple and therefore not complicated and wind up in a situation where some riding gets a green candidate as their second seat, even though the green party only got 10% of the votes in that particular riding just because that's the spot where the green party happens to do the best. 10% is the biggest vote share they got anywhere. It's not very right. big, but it's bigger relative to the other ones. Well, the the that day, might be the simplest way to do it. Yeah. It's simple at the expense of maybe pissing people off in that riding. That doesn't necessarily work then, if, like, because if I have a certain issue and I'm going to my MP, and my MP is not the party I voted for. Welcome to the reality of 60% of the people in first to pass the post, though, right? Right. Like the, the temptation here is always to evaluate each of these options in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. well, you don't get to do that. You have to evaluate them with reference to the status quo and with reference to a particular value. In, in your case, it's simplicity and accountability. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. If you like simplicity and you like accountability, uh, then first past the post may be your thing. Doesn't it seem a bit counterintuitive, though? Like, because that person had 10% of the vote, now they're my MLA, even though they didn't win that writing? Yeah, that's the point that we're making. Yeah. You might choose a system for putting those second seats in place that is simple, and yet produces counterintuitive results. Exactly. That's the thing about field member proportional. There's a lot of theoretical work done modeling this. It's not like we're inventing it from scratch. Mm -hmm. We just don't have real-world examples to point to to say, okay, well, there's this version, that version, this is the side effect, and this well, is the side we, effect. We just hope that our politicians reflect the writing regardless of where their party lines are, right? They do the best Well, the again, typically 60% of the voters in any writing are left hoping that on the day after election day. <laughs> in general, yes. Another right? thing about mixed member proportional is that at the end of the day, we may end up with governments that look similar to what we're used to under first-past-the-post. And I don't mean that those governments will be majority, um, but what I mean is that you will end up more likely to have sort of one main party supported by another party or, or even another two parties versus major coalitions. There's a real difference, and I think people don't always understand this, between what we have in BC right now, which is a uh, a government that is a single member, a single party government supported by another party versus a coalition government. And a coalition government is when multiple parties sit at the cabinet table. And so multiple people are in cabinet from different parties. Mm -hmm. That's a challenge in our system in part because of the requirement of our constitution that cabinet act as um, one voice. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is that in our system, you cannot walk out of a cabinet room and articulate dissent from what the government has decided. Right. And the reason for that is that our system works through a convention that says that the queen is not in charge, the governor general is not in charge, because she has to act on the advice of the prime minister or the premier. The issue is that that, that group is actually cabinet, the whole advisories, right? Mm -hmm. So you can't have people saying different things to that leader, to that lieutenant governor because which one do I follow right. right so they have to be constitutionally one group and it's really hard for a, a second party to give up the right to dissent and that's why you see like people were calling for Elizabeth May to be put in government at one point and she said no thank you right mm -hmm. I don't want that and part of that is because some parties would prefer to be able to speak their minds and you can't do that in cabinet Right. MMP could allow for us to continue to have a major party in control of the government and then supported by minor parties in the way that is traditional in the Canadian context. Coalition governments are not. If it does lead to 
more diverse parties and so therefore more need for coalition governments. If there's a lot of them, then they'll have to have coalitions. That would be a pretty big political cultural learning for those parties. It would happen. They'd figure it out. It would probably take a little longer. The more different voices in the same room means dissension for me, which means not stable. Am I accurate in thinking that way? Am I, if, is that a misnomer? Because I, I think the more little parties you have trying to be friendly with each other, there's a lot of room for disaster in there. You, you just brought up Angela Merkel, right? Okay. I mean, that that's an example of a coalition government. She has ministers in her cabinet from a number of different parties. Mm -hmm. It's become steadily more challenging for her to establish those coalitions. But then again, she has been the person doing it as the head of the government in well, Germany. It comes down to who's your leader. Fairly right? long time. There's some countries with leaders that I don't see can actually pull that off. Well, <laughs> the point that we're trying to make here is that stability in terms of lifetime of government is something that's going to be altered by a lot of different things, not just the voting system. And they're interrelated. It'll be altered by party behavior, which is informed a bit by voting system and a bit by history and a bit by political culture. What we can say is that you look at a, a post-Westminster system, you look at New Zealand, which has had a very similar trajectory, historically speaking, as to Canada's. Then they opted for MMP. And you've wound up with a series of governments that look a lot like what BC has had now, where one of the major parties is in power, and another party offers to support them on the key votes, but still criticizes the snot out of them at every opportunity. Mm -hmm. And they balance being adversarial with being cooperative. Friendly competitors, if you like. Well, I, some people would prefer friendly competitors and people screaming at each other across <laughs> the aisle. So final system, uh, uh, the choice of proportionality, is, uh, this one I think is a little bit uh, untested as well, I believe, and it's kind of odd. Well, I find this one a little bit more odd than the other two. Uh, you wouldn't be alone in that. It's got a killer name, though, the Rural Urban Proportional Representation, or RUPER for short. Mm -hmm. The thing that is interesting about it is that it's not untested. It's two different, quite well-tested systems mixed together. Right. And it's the mixed together bit that tends to throw people off. So to understand the system, first you have to imagine that BC is divided into urban and rural areas. And that isn't all that hard to do necessarily, and you'd have to just redo it occasionally as people move around. In urban areas, you have one system, and in rural areas, you have a different one. In the urban systems, you get a relatively small number of quite large ridings. Each riding would have a number of MLAs who represent it, so it's a multi-seat district, and then you elect them using the single transferable vote. And fans of electoral reform in BC will immediately be smiling because single transferable vote is the thing that has been held up as the other choice in BC in previous referenda. Single transferable vote is quite easy to look at as a voter. You have a list of names, much like you would for a municipal council election, but instead of just writing six X's or filling in six ovals, you actually write the numbers one, two, three, four, five, six. You rank order your choices of candidates. And then, based on how many people get the votes of the voters, they fill the seats. What you do is you take the number of seats and you look at the number of votes and you work out how many votes somebody needs to get the seat. They call that a quota. Anybody gets that many votes right off the bat, first choices, bang, they get a seat. Any votes they got over the quota get reallocated. So you pick reallocated up about that. to whom? To the other people. So say your vote was the first extra vote, right? Somebody needed 100 votes to win. Yours is the 101st vote. So they'll pick up your piece of paper and they'll say, ah, well, this voter, of course, I don't know it's you. It's a secret ballot. Well, their second choice was candidate X. So I'm going to take your ballot and I'm going to go put it in candidate X's pile. Doug, that's only for losing candidates. But those who have won that extra seat, it's usually done by saying there's that that's worth so much of a percentage of a vote. 
for the person who got the 1,000 they needed, that 1,001 is, yes, it's reattributed, but it's done through a very complicated system that says, you know, that extra one can go to Frank, but Frank only gets 0.8 of a vote or 0.2 of a vote because it's really not the same thing. Because a number two vote is not the same as a number one vote. Well, here we encounter one of the devils in the details, right? So there's a number of different mathematical systems you can use for this. The one that Election Species proposes is the Droop quota system, but there's a bunch of other ones that allocate them slightly differently. Some of them just treat the first and third and fourth preferences the same, and others so do kind of do? weight them. So Droop, from what I understand, just allocates the preference. Directly? Directly. So it's different than the Scottish system. Yep. But, and what is odd is that, of course, you don't necessarily expect people to get over the quota. So you might not have anybody who gets elected right off the bat with the first preferences. <laughs> In which case, so you say, okay. Now I'm already confused. Oh, yeah. So this is where I get lost. So the real reality here is that uh, single transferable vote sounds fantastic, mm -hmm. but is incredibly complicated to yeah. actually allocate and to explain at all. And it's because it is actually, like, you know, if you think about your your mathematics class, and right? And this is and it's just like, in the urban areas. Then we do this, then <laughs> yep. we do this, then we do this, then we do this. Yeah. There's a list if of things you've got to do. Then, exactly. Yeah. Yep. And so... Part of the challenge with this system is, well, the big challenge is this sense of this is so complex, I can't follow it, and I'm not sure the right thing happened, right? Probably the right thing happened. Probably those election workers did their best, and indeed, there's all these people who do know how we it have works. They did again. double check, but it, the question is, um, are do you feel that it's legitimate if you can't follow it, right? If you're like having trouble going through this and you you need a, you know, our friend Richards, right, PhD in mathematics to be able to figure out whether the election was hacked. Now it's worth noting that people do get used to this sort of thing. So uh, Ireland, the Republic, has been using the single transferable vote since independence, in the 20s. Mm -hmm. So they've gotten rather used to it. And it's quite interesting to read political coverage in Ireland because, of course, there's a whole other vernacular to describe this, right? They'll, they'll talk about the uh, number of first preference votes a candidate got in terms of the proportion of quotas that they got. And then there's all sorts of exciting punditry and statistics that you can do. Again, but this is a, a system of two, like there's two voting systems into this one system. So this yep. is just one That's aspect. just the urban half. Exactly. So, yep. I mean, I'm already confused on already one half of the system. That's right. And but if you're in a rural riding... Right. Well, and it's just in that case, member proportional. That's right. Just just go back to what we just said about ten minutes ago, because in the rural areas, it's just MMP. I'm already lost. However, one of the big things about the rural-urban proportional system, which I think is is not obvious, people see the complexity pretty immediately, as you just did, right? The other thing is that it's less proportional, just because of the number of seats. If we're going to keep the number of MLAs about the same, if we're at eighty-seven now, say maybe we go up to ninety-five then that means in the rural areas, because there's only going to be so many MLAs, I'm only handing out so many seats, the proportionality might be in increments of 5% or in increments of 10%. Like I'm rounding to the nearest 10% we're still in doing the same that. proportion of seats in, in terms of urban and rural, though, right? The well, we have it, it currently. you probably have something that looks similar. I just mean like in terms of the party proportionality. Oh, okay. So if you suppose I have 10 seats to hand out and five of them get handed out, or six of them get handed out based on the first-past-the-post voting. They're the first half of the ballot in the MMP system. That means they have four seats left to hand out in order to make the outcome proportional to how parties did overall in that region. If there's only four seats there, then 
the Better difference hope between that 25 percent is the problem, right? Yeah, right. Anybody yeah. who's got 33 percent of the vote or 36 or 38, those all kind of look the same to me because I only have increments of 10 percent to hand out. So in, it'll get less proportional in rural areas. Mm-hmm. In urban areas, it can also get less proportional. So STV it is more proportional than first past the post, but less proportional than other systems. And in there, things like how many seats are there in a riding? If there's five or more, it's pretty proportional. If there's less than five, it's less proportional. Can I vote only for parties or can I vote for candidates? Because if I'm voting for candidates, then you can get weird things with proportionality there well, as well. If you're numbering one through six, you're, you're, ne- you're, you're going after candidates at that point, correct? You, yeah, you can structure ballots where you're numbering parties, yeah. and that makes it more proportional for parties. But then, of course, you're not picking candidates anymore. Yeah, so the ballot would essentially look like you have the name of all the people writing and you're writing and you're basically just one, two, three, four, five, six. Typically. It's, in some jurisdictions that do this, the ballot is an uh, eight and a half by 14 sheet of paper. Uh, with a lot of different choices on it, um, because you have a lot of parties, and each party's got a full set of candidates. Well, so. Vancouver should be used to that. I mean, their their, their municipal hall had like ninety seven <laughs> names on it, right? So they're they're used to. It. I'm just choices good. Where would right? us, like let's let's make this local then? As Squamish, where would we fit? Would we fit rural, or would we fit you know? Because I mean, our writing right now includes West Vancouver. That that is the key problem, right? Yeah. Which one are we? And without knowing that, we don't know how we're voting, right? Because is if I'm thinking, well, okay, I don't really, I'm rural so i'd be mmp i'm okay with mmp okay therefore i'm gonna go for this okay well no I, it turns out i'm urban okay well if i'm urban i'm really okay with stv but i don't like mmp it's one of the challenges for a riding like this that's on that cusp and mm-hmm. you think i could be either and they haven't declared that yeah categorizing uh, ridings as rural or urban is not that alien a thing elections canada does it federally it's just buried in the data because it doesn't matter for our voting system. They're kind of doing well, it just out of interest. The day, like, we're voting, like, oh, look, we've got an MMP system. I guess they decided we are. Well, you know, you'd know in advance. Uh, I mean, <laughs> there's nothing about an electoral system that's ever secret or a surprise in the day of. There may be voters who are surprised, but that's a different thing. Again, the, the thing you really have to think about is what is it you want? What are things you value? Otherwise, it, this just becomes a little exercise and find find the flaw in the choices and without thinking about what the status quo is like. If you want to make this choice intelligently, you've got to think about what you want. And Doug, I think it's it's okay to say, yeah, they do this all the time, but this is a really big difference, right? You're changing electoral systems depending on how somebody codes you. That's a good point. Which you have to believe that whoever's coding you has your best interest at heart, but equally, it, it might be that you, you do need to shift, that there has been a change, that Squamish becomes completely urban. But now we're talking about as the urban centers start to move out into the country, people have to get used to switching into a different voting system. And that's something I don't think we've seen, that Mm -hmm. all of a sudden from one election to another with no vote and no discussion, you could be told, sorry, now you're in a different voting system. Yeah, now you're no longer MMP. You are... STV. That's a good point. Well, and it'd be bigger than that. You you, You are no longer represented by your person, Jordan, for example, uh, you are now going to be represented by these five people right. who were picked in a completely different way, and they all live in the city an hour south of here. Yeah. Like, you have to have a three-hour commute before you can go talk to them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's one of the reasons why STV uh, isn't, in this case, on offer for the entire province. That previously was put to a vote, and it did quite poorly in rural areas of the province. And one reason for that is that if you create a riding with enough people in it to have five MLAs in a rural area, the riding will be so huge 
anybody who is elected will, by definition, live many hours away from some other people. Mm-hmm. And they'll mostly come from wherever the largest population center is. So if you imagine one for the north or northern interior, well, odds are all the MLAs are going to wind up being from Prince George, just because that's where the population center is for that third of the province. Yeah. So, yeah, if you're on the east side, east coast of the province, uh, your representative being in Prince George is not really reflective then. You, you may find it hard to drive to their office and have a chat. Yeah. Well, especially in winter. That does lead to a decrease in representation, right? It's, it's one of those values we talked about. And, and it, it's, it, we want to keep representation up because, I mean, we're, we're, I mean, we want politics. We want people to be engaged, right? Mm. At the end of the day, we want people to be engaged in their politics. They want people to be engaged in, in the process and what their politicians are doing. Right. You're, you're assuming the representation has anything to do with that, though. We don't actually know that. Well, isn't that what elections are for, your representation? No, not necessarily. <laughs> if, if, you're, if you're in a system where that's important, then that's what elections about. If you're in a one-ward PR-style system, they're about party choice, and that's it, right? A lot of the things that we assume are just the nature of politics are actually just consequences of the interaction of rules like our voting system with our parties and our constitution. Politics right. is, isn't necessarily any one particular way. So the fact that you see elections as being about picking your candidate tells me a lot about the system that you grew up in. Well, I grew up first past the post, right. obviously, right? And so all of us, right? So, I mean, but some people are more engaged than others. So it's, yep. uh, this is what I'm saying. So that you can see trends then. Well, you'll absolutely see parties approach contesting elections differently. And in fact, one thing that I'm, I'm sure we're seeing some of in the, uh, in the memes, I've been mostly enjoying the coffee order and drink order memes, mm-hmm. But I'm sure what we will see is people who will take the results of 2017 and then sort of model what the outcome of that election would have been if we'd used mixed member proportional or dual member proportional or rural urban PR. It's a mugs game. Mm -hmm. What you're doing is saying, let's take the score of a hockey game and then I'm going to score the game again by the rules of soccer. And then I'm going to tell you whether soccer is a better game than hockey. The thing is, if you change the rules, the players will behave differently. No, true. And so we'll see this if in any proportional system, for example, everybody's vote is going to matter a lot more than it matters right now. Well, whereas in hockey, if you're falling down, it's because you actually got hit, not you know anything like in soccer. I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming. Of course, it had to come. Right? An example would be at the federal level where that discussion got thrown aside because the Liberal Party was in favor of, I think, I think they were in favor of transferable vote. That would have been sort of what was in their interests because they're always sort of somebody's second choice. And the other parties that wanted this change, the Greens and the NDP, wanted other sorts of systems like mixed member proportional. One of the critiques of the government was that, you know, oh, you just think about transferable because it's in your interest, which it absolutely would be in the short term. Mm -hmm. But what I would have found interesting to see and would have been, well, what would have happened 20 years later? Like, that's the research I would have liked to have been able to do and to see what the Greens would have done. Because ultimately, I think there was space for the other parties to then think, hey, I'm going to be everybody's second place, right? But what we always think is that the way in which we do things now under this system, if we take that and transfer it to the new system, that's what we're going to see forever. That is certainly what we're probably going to see in the first election. Mm -hmm. But in the second and third and fourth election, there will be significant learning, and it'll be a whole new game. Well, that's why New Zealand, you said, is when they voted in to keep it, their system, it was 80% to keep it, right? So they got used to the system. They sort of felt that it was, is that correct? Is no, it was 80% to, ad- to adopt. Adopt, but then yep. these two, they had a referendum to keep it. Yeah, they did yeah. have a referendum to keep it. They did. They had a, another referendum to keep it. I'm not sure of the number, just one sec. Yeah, so I know 80%, okay, I thought it was 80% to keep the system. Fun fact. 
the Irish have voted twice to ditch or had a referendum twice on ditching STV and adopting first past the post, and they've decided not to both times. Mm-hmm. So, you know, well, for they what just, that's they worth just look for at you. the English and how they're yelling at each other and go, we don't want that. Well, <laughs> you know, I- Ireland is actually, that's not that crazy a choice. Of course, the Republic and Northern Ireland are, are divided by a somewhat arbitrary border given the vagaries of history, and yet that separates their electoral systems. And, of course, they are just across the water from, uh, from Britain. Uh, and they have a front row seat to first pass the post with some of the advantages it offers in terms of simplicity and stability, and yet have twice chosen not to adopt that, even though uh, it does make for some fascinating election night punditry. It's like probabilistic hockey. It's very, very difficult to figure out what's going on in the first few hours while they're counting ballots in Ireland. It's quite enjoyable. If you like geeking out about elections, of course, which I do, but recognize (laughs) not everybody else does. It was 57% in favor of keeping it. it. Oh, well, see, that that, that changes the whole argument then for me. Yeah, for you. (laughs) (laughs) For me, indeed, for me. So in terms of transparency in the system, what what system do you think is, apart from first past the post, since you count the vote, that person gets in, obviously, that transparent. But the other three mixed systems. So I think you're confusing transparency and simplicity there. It's the simple it is, the better you can reflect it to your population, right? The more you can show the results to your population, the simple it is. I think if I had to rank order the three in terms of most simple to least simple, I would go mixed member proportional, dual member proportional, with a, a bit of a question mark there, but you could probably figure that out. And then rural urban PR, because STV invariably at the scale of a province will require computer-based tabulation, and it becomes quite complicated to try to explain it. I've been explaining it to undergraduate students for about 10 years. It's challenging. Mm-hmm. But, so when you say transparent, do you mean then that it's clear right now how we would allocate those votes and that it would be in a way that would be legitimate? Is that what you mean? For example, our municipal election, uh, final seat was, there was two vote difference. They basically just took all the ballots, mm-hmm. put them through the machine again. With these mixed systems, you don't really, it's not so clear. It's not so, so but out of all three of them, which one would be the most? So, I, I mean, MMP clearly, um, so mixed member proportional, we can clearly describe how that would work. We know where, how it has worked elsewhere, and it's fairly simple to understand. Um, the other two... I would actually do it the opposite because I think you would be able to, so we had two votes difference, you would be able to go through the list of how it should be done and make sure that was done properly. It would take forever, Mm -hmm. but you can do that, right? You can double check. We don't know with dual member proportional how they're going to allocate that second seat. So I can't tell you right now whether or not I'm going to feel confident after the fact enough to be able to say yes okay, fair enough. As Sasha did, right, a few days later, yeah, all right, I lost by two votes. We're, we're certain of that. I don't know, because I don't know how that's going to work. STV is complicated. It's confusing. But we do know that it nonetheless, it does work. I, I should say, it's, it's not rocket science. I mean, there's plenty of web-based platforms that'll walk you through it. And they will actually play out every single round of voting and show you how, where all the votes did and you know where they got reallocated to and so forth. It is, however an awful lot of information to digest. Mm-hmm. So it would be quite challenging STV, for... STV, you mean? Yes, sorry, STV, yes. It would be quite challenging for CBC to run election night coverage with quite the same <laughs> infographic verve that they do now, for example. Uh, on the other hand, they would have something to talk about about every 30 seconds, so uh, that might be an improvement. If you say yes to mm-hmm. a proportional system, one of the three, one of the big knockings, all three of them, is the fact that government will have to grow. You will need more MLAs. Is that true or false? It's false in the sense that you 
can have the same number of MLAs if you are willing to accept larger ridings. Mm-hmm. Of course, larger ridings somewhat cut against representation. So mostly Elections BC is saying you're going to stay pretty close to where you are now, 87. You might go up to low 90s, but we're well, not going ex- yeah, to expand it to you know 150 or, or whatnot. Interestingly enough, people in BC don't seem to want more MLAs. No, at all. Zero. That's like, like I said, that's the biggest argument against And them. yet, they also want representation. Mm-hmm. Well, logically, the more MLAs you add, the more the fidelity between your local area and your representative. So there's a bit of an odd paradox there, but that's not unusual. Voters do tend to often prefer contradictory things. If that is a value for you, and yet you still wanted to see a proportional system, I think the other thing is that MMP could allow for because that second person is regional they're sort of locked in in an area too it could still have representation without an increase Um, ultimately though we're going to see an increase in MLAs as the province's population rises so I don't think stability and I'm not sure if if the concern there is the increased cost of having more MLAs or if it's the um I'm not 100% sure if it's just that we don't like politicians. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure why that, what, what's at the root of that value. Mm-hmm. But if it is just we don't want to see more of them, it is possible through MMP to continue to have decent representation without increasing. I think generally it comes from cost of government. I think is where most of that comes from. Yeah, you know what's crazy, though, is that the, that, that really shows you how poorly people read provincial government um, cost by documents by and Facebook, budgeting. Which is totally right? no, not, you know, not accurate at all. But again, if, if it's, it's, it's not fair to ask questions based on what I see on social media, but this is what people are talking about, right? So, and, and this is why we're, we're sitting here sort of dispel some of these things. And, and some of the analogies that you've used, like the hockey analogy and the drink analogy, has been all over Facebook. So this is why I want to sit down and have this conversation mm-hmm. because will it grow – well, we'll, we'll, well, if we do a proportional system, will it grow LMLAs? Well, no, not necessarily. We have to grow anyway because our population is growing. Well, the other thing is right. you don't you don't have to, right. right? With a proportional system, the number of MLAs is like the zoom in, zoom out scale on uh, Google Maps or any other kind of online map. If you have fewer MLAs, you're just zoomed out a lot more. So it's going to look proportional, but it'll be a little bit less accurate. If you have more MLAs, then the resolution is finer. So if you're really attached to not having any more MLAs, your system can still be proportional. It'll be just a little bit less accurately proportional than it would be if you had slightly more MLAs. It's important to note, too, the reason that we grow MLAs a lot of the times is because we see urbanization. So people leave the country and they move to the city, and then the city starts to bulge, and so you've got these ridings with more and more people, and it's sort of looking unfair. But you don't want to decrease the number of MLAs in the country because... Mm -hmm. That's politically not very good. Yeah. And so nobody likes that. Nobody likes that. So what they do in some occasions is that you'll see increase um, in ur- urban ridings, right, to c- trying to cover that. Um, they do we redraw it. I'm not suggesting they don't, but you do see, you definitely have in urban areas like this one, we are a very largely populated riding in mm-hmm. comparison to other ridings. We're probably going to see um, a portion of the of the riding, even if we stick with first past the post, fall off in the next couple of elections because we're getting too big. That's not a bad thing, but ultimately, I think, yeah, that's one of the reasons why you end up with growth is that you're trying not to decrease representation in the country, and yet you're seeing decreases in population. But if we do switch systems, we have to redraw all the lines, though. The systems that are being proposed will entail some redrawing of current electoral districts. Right. We do that every 10 years. Regardless. We we do that regardless. If you 
want to be voting to freeze our current electoral districts in time now and forever, then there's a very different ballot you should be filling out, and it may involve a tinfoil hat. Mm-hmm. What about gerrymandering then? Is that a big thing? In Canada, not so much because the widespread norm, I say widespread because PEI had a very interesting flirtation with us a while back, and Alberta <laughs> has had some flirtations with it as well. well you, you guys are anomalies, that's for sure. The, um, the widespread norm is that this is done by a nonpartisan office of the legislature itself, precisely mm-hmm. because of the obvious incentives for a party in power. And we have a, a particularly majoritarian system where first past the post, where you're in power, you are in power. It's like you won a prize fight. You are there if you yeah. have a majority government. So we, we tend to put that out of the hands of politicians, and then you don't see it as much of a problem. In Canada, it's not a... In the United States, it's often racially based because mm-hmm. uh, racial lines tend to correspond with party lines. Mm-hmm. And so parties in power say, oh, I can just easily know that racial minority is not going to vote for my party, therefore I'm going to cut them up. And that's what gerrymandering is, right? Yeah. Um, in Canada, it tends to be rural-urban divides right. that correspond. And so you see in Prince Edward Island, for instance, in one election, they actually didn't follow what they were supposed to do solely because the government in power was more supported. They believed in the rural areas than in the urban areas. Ultimately, they were destroyed the next election, so it's unclear that that worked for them. But yeah. that is, um, the, you know, it's possible. It, I don't the track think record it's a huge is not very deal. good. Yeah, <laughs> Canadians huge notice. In Canada. <laughs> uh, and, and they punish you well, for it. Well, it's pretty sad where, what, 9,000 9, people live there? But anyway. Um. <laughs> 150,000 or something. But yes, when the same the, amount is in newspapers, our federal <laughs> When national newspapers' editorial cartoons are making fun of your government's gerrymandering, you know it's bad. <laughs> I mean, it's the only time the Globe Mail ever notices PEI. So is there any final thoughts, any, any uh, things that you really want to get clear about this process, about this decision? If you, if you, want, to be, if you want to be biased, then go ahead. You, you're allowed to be biased at this point. Just be sure you're clearly being biased. I think what we want to be clear about is that there are values that you can think are the most important thing. So uh, simplicity is one of them, in which case first pass the post looks really good. Um, accountability. Proportionality, obviously, is one of them. Stability. So these different uh, values you're going to have to decide what's important to you and what you want to see in, in, a, in a system and then look at those systems and decide, okay, well, this one fits my needs the most. Mm-hmm. Some of these systems, I think, have more checks on them for these different values than other systems, and you've heard that as we discuss them tonight. But it's not that one is necessarily better than the other. It's that if your values line up with that system, it's better for you. And that's perhaps the way you'll, you're going to want to vote. Ultimately, though, you have to decide, you know, if simplicity is very important to you, as is stability, and, you know, we are very stable in our governments in BC, then first past the post is the right system for you. If proportionality is important, if representation is important, and representation on first past the post as well, right? If representation is important, if accountability is important, you know, you if cooperative party behavior is important, if yeah, elections right where every vote opposition. counts and every vote is chased equally, right? There's lots of different things. We can proliferate some of these infinitely, of course. Mm-hmm. The uh, choices that are on offer here just don't touch on some other possible values of voting system. And ultimately, you come down to, okay, where do my values line up with these systems? And that's how you make your decision. I mean, I, I clearly am biased. Vote. For the love of Pete, just <laughs> vote. It is not hard to do. There's a simple three-step process. They have an illustrated explanation, and the envelope is postage paid, so you don't have to go find a stamp. So, point one. Let, let's go through that, though. So, you, you get your ballot. Mm-hmm. You fill out the ballot. It's X, keep first past the boat, 
post or X go to proportional. Then you rank the different systems. I want this one, then this one, then this one, one, two, three. Then you take that ballot and you put it inside your privacy sleeve. That's right. The secrecy sleeve is labeled. <laughs> yeah. And it's just basically a folded piece of paper that you put it in. Awesome. Yeah. And you put that in another envelope, which you have filled out what they've asked of you. Yeah. It's your name and birth date and a signature. Put that inside the envelope that then you put in the mail. And uh, just making sure that you do those three steps, that's what they're expecting of but you. You don't have yep. to do one, two, three. You can just pick one. You can. And you right. also don't have to answer both questions. Well, if you like the first one, then you don't right. have to answer the second one. No, but also you could ignore the first one and just answer the second one and say, you know what? I don't really know about the status quo versus proportional, but if we're going to go proportional, I like the letter M <laughs> or I like RUPER as an acronym. I mean, you could do the second one and not the first one if you want. Clearly, we don't judge people's reasons for voting. You know what? I just want you to vote. I don't even care. <laughs> the other thing that, that I think is worth emphasizing, though, and this is, uh, I'm going to echo Kaya's point here. I think it's a good one. You got to decide what it is you want in a voting system in the same way that if you're shopping for houses or shopping for cars, you have to decide what it is you're looking for. Then you have to weigh the four choices, the status quo and then the three other ones, and decide which one gives you the most of what you want. I think a lot of the time, this conversation morphs into a, a, a random debate about a lot of other things to do with politics. And, and we've seen that a little bit here, right? But that's not the choice. You're shopping for voting systems, comparison shop, like you would for houses or cars. The one last thing I think that's worth mentioning, uh, and this is, I think, true of, of politics generally, and it's something that we forget uh, in contemporary political discourse. If this is about different values, that means people are going to disagree because they have different values. If somebody has a different set of values than you and they value a different electoral system than you because of that, it's not that they're wrong or ignorant or foolish or that you are any of these things. It's that you just happen to value different things and you can still be friends and neighbors and acknowledge that fact. And no amount of arguing is likely to change their mind. I think that's the key to having a positive a political culture in any place is to understand that difference is a positive thing. Well, democracy is about the conversation. It's about having the debate. It's about talking. It's about getting along with your neighbors and then choosing the best choice. We get along with most of our neighbors, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I do give you a hard time. There is that one guy, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. One guy who just comes over and just wants to argue with me all the time just because he can. And it drives content. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, thank you very much for joining me, guys. And uh, next time we have a political debate, obviously, uh, we'd like you guys to come on again, for sure. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you, Marcus. you, Marcus. This is the Sea to Sky podcast. If you have a comment or story ideas, please check out our website at seataskypodcast.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Sea to Sky podcast. Thank you for clicking us on.